Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We are in the middle of a series uh, called A Better Story. And uh, we are looking at, we're looking at the big story of uh, the Christian faith, the big story of the Bible, and kind of bring it in contrast with the secular narrative. See, we all tell ourselves stories. We're surrounded by stories, and uh, they, are, they, they are powerful. Stories are powerful. They form us and shape us in deep ways. And so we're looking at the story, the Christian story, as a better narrative, as a better story uh, against the narrative of the world and society in which we live. And so over the past few weeks, we've been looking at creation uh, and we've been created in the image of God at fall. Something went wrong. Uh, We chose to live for ourselves and shame entered the world. And then last week, we, we looked at this whole idea of covenant, that God is a pursuing God, that even though we have rejected him, Throughout the story of human history, we see that God is a God who pursues us, that God relentlessly chases after us and creates ways, frameworks in which relationship can be held. But as we continue to look at the story, we see particularly through Israel, and if we are honest with ourselves as well, we're not really good at upholding the covenant. Israel, the history of Israel is littered with the people rejecting God and pursuing false idols. And so God continually has to come back, come back. But this framework of covenant doesn't work because we're not good at upholding our end of the bargain. And so this is the story that we're in, and we are getting to the apex of the story this morning. This morning is a good morning. Uh, It's a good day for you to wake up on a cold morning and make your way to church because we've hit the apex of the story. Today, we are looking at redemption. We're looking at the person of Jesus Christ who fulfills the covenant on our behalf and in doing so redeems us. And that is the story that every one of us are invited into. This is a game changer. This changes everything. And maybe you've stepped into that story and maybe you've forgotten that story and maybe you've been coming to church and you're not quite sure where you are in the story. Maybe you haven't stepped into the story. But today my prayer is that you will grab hold afresh of the wonderful truth that no matter what you've done or what you haven't done, no matter what your background story is, God loves you and he has redeemed you. We've been worshipping about that today. And so my prayer in my heart is that you will get hold of this afresh. Even as I've been preparing this week, I've just been reminded of the the radical story that I'm invited into and how much I believe an alternative story. And even though many of us here will say we're Christians, we do swallow and believe different story. I came across this quote from uh, Ian Morgan Cron, who's a pastor and author, and he writes this. So just, he, I read this this week. He said, what if the stories we tell ourselves and others about who we are and who we are becoming aren't true? As human beings, we understand our lives as narratives. 
We acquire stories very early in life as a way to find meaning and to make sense of our experiences, either real or perceived. These stories shape what we believe about who we are in the world, which in turn shape our personalities. They hold incredible influence over our thoughts and our feelings and our actions, and they distort the lens through which we see the world. Every one of us is living a story. These stories are powerful because they shape us, they form us, or as Ian Morgan Cron says, they deform us in different ways. Stories disciple us. We see the world and we present ourselves to the world because of the stories that we believe about ourselves. See, the stories ultimately shape us and they, the stories we tell us, tell ourselves, are stories ultimately of redemption. Whether they're right or not, we are longing for redemption. Every human heart longs for salvation, longs for redemption. You just have to look at all the cinemas, go to the movies, go, to, go and watch Les Mis or whatever it is, and you will see underpinning many of our stories this desire for redemption. And Jesus understood this. We're going to look at the person of Jesus, the apex of the story, and Jesus himself, God incarnate, understood the power of stories. And he understood how stories shape our lives, and so he told and spoke in stories. You know, you read in the, the, throughout the Gospels that Jesus spoke in stories. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke in a moment, in a moment and we read in, in Luke alone 24 different parables. Jesus spoke and he taught in stories. Why? Because just the average Joe Blow on the street understood stories. You know, we all relate to stories, parables, analogies. You know, Jesus used everyday language and everyday items and elements like birds and flowers and seeds and trees and rocks and soil and vines, things that just the average person in that time could understand and people could relate to them. People could relate to these stories. You know, the hearers in that time were drawn in they could identify with the characters. They could identify with, with, the, with, the, uh, with the theme and, the, and they would find themselves. And we do this, right? We, we find ourselves in the story and we make ourselves a character in the story. Now, I remember just soon after we had Olivia uh, going and watching the movie Les Mis. And I, I, the first time, if you've heard me tell the story, first time I went and saw Les Mis, I had no idea what was going on. And there was this really hot woman who uh, was sitting a few um, seats down from me. She's cringing right now, but I thought that was the case. And I was more distracted by that. Anyway, a few years later, I actually married Megan and, uh, and we had Olivia. And I remember watching Les Mis in the movies and, and just the whole narrative of the father and the daughter just got me. You know, I was living Jean Valjean and I, you know, not that, not that I'm Hugh Jackman, uh, but uh, I'd like to be maybe, but, um, but I was, there were just tears just streaming down my face as I was kind of putting myself in the story of a father with a daughter. That's what stories do. They reach deep into our imagination. They reach deep into our heart. Jesus understood this. He understood that stories have the power to shape us in deep ways. More than that, Jesus spoke in stories because they communicated truth and connected truth at a deep level. And the beauty of 
Jesus was, he was saying, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to connect the truth of who you are with the truth of who God is. And the wonderful thing about this better story is, is that Jesus understood he was the person who could do that. And Jesus tells stories that point to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of redemption. It's a great story. And Jesus tells perhaps one of the greatest stories ever known to human man. It's the story of the prodigal son or the story of the two sons or the story of the running father. And we're gonna jump into it and we're gonna explore the different characters. And let me invite you into this story. Who are you in the story? So uh, Luke 15, we're gonna read uh, from verse 11. It's the last of a set of three parables about lost things. And, uh, and we're getting to the last one. I'm sure you all know it, but we're gonna jump in again. And I believe that God's gonna say some fresh and new things to us today. Luke 15, starting at verse 11, the words are gonna be on the screen behind me. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to, his fa- said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We're invited into a story where there are different characters. And the first character we're invited into to looking at is the rebellious son, the son that runs away from home. I don't know if you've ever 
run away from home, like when you were a kid, whether you just decided to pack up your little bag at, you know, six or seven years old and, you know, angry with your parents and then, and then just leave home. Did anyone threaten or do that, just run away from home? A bunch of you sinners, you rebels, you. I never did that. I was actually trying to think. None of my siblings ever did that, but I do remember my mum who's a wonderful woman, sharing a story about when she was young, getting together with her older sister, my auntie, and they decided to run away from home. And they packed their bags together, and just as they were walking out the front door, remember my mum telling this, my grandmother, who was standing at the top of the stairs, saw them, and my mum vividly remembers my grandmother saying, bye-bye, girls, <laughs> bye-bye, girls. Now, my grandmother is also a wonderful mum and clearly understood that my mum and my auntie did not have the resources to go very far and she knew in her wisdom that they would come home again. Now, there are some similarities with the, with the rebellious son here, the younger son. The, the younger son uh, did also want to leave home and was not happy and decided to, to leave. But he was older he wasn't happy, but he wanted to leave. He also didn't have the resources. But he goes to the father and says, I want out. I want to run away from home. I'm done with this. Give me my share of the inheritance. Now, this was obscene for a whole range of reasons. And those who were sitting and, and listening to Jesus as the younger son said this would have been horrified. Firstly, to say, Father, I want my share of the inheritance was essentially saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I wanna be free from you. I don't want you in my life anymore so I can have what is due mine. I want my inheritance. I wanna be free from you. I wish you were dead. Firstly, there's a rejection. He is rejecting the Father. But he's not just rejecting the Father in this request. He's rejecting the village. He's rejecting those around him, the community around him. You gotta understand that the Father, to, to give the younger son the money, would have had to have gone and sold a whole bunch of property. Now, now we know that land both then and now in that region is of vital importance. It's sacred. And that land would have been tilled by the same family for generation upon generation upon generation. The vineyards, the trees, the orchards would have all been tilled by that same family. And that son is saying, I'm getting out of that family. I want out of this village. I am rejecting all of my history. And thirdly, he is rejecting his, the faith of his family. He's saying, I want out. And, I, and it's important to understand, he is heading off to another land to live outside the parameters of the traditions that he was brought up in, the faith that he was brought up in, on wild living, on sleeping with prostitutes, outside of the law, and thirdly and most obscenely, to go and live amongst the Gentiles. That was obscene. So the, the hearers, as they're listening and hearing Jesus' story, this is, this is just inconceivable that he would do this. 
The youngest son is rejecting his father. He's rejecting the traditions. He's rejecting religion. He's rejecting faith. You know, if we were reading this, taking off our religious uh, mindset for a moment, our eyes, our blinkers, because we've read this story, like, right, I'm sure we've all heard this story tens, hundreds of times. If we just kind of throw it off for a moment and just read it again in our secular worldview, much of this we would resonate with. We'd read this and go, actually, this guy is living a liberated life. He's throwing off authority, structures and and, and boundaries that have stopped him from being his authentic self. And by actually throwing off and casting off irrelevant religion and traditions and things that that hold, hold him in, he's actually able to express himself, to liberate himself and enjoy things like uh, sexuality in its own way, throwing off sexual norms and the assumptions of religion and tradition. He's finding his own path outside of a religious framework. That's what he's doing. In many ways, he's following what Mark Sayers calls is the secular salvation script or schema. You see, there is a, there's a salvation narrative that sits within our culture that throws off the history of Christianity but still carries the same pattern of creation, fall, redemption, salvation. And uh, again, just cheating off Mark Sayers, who's a, a pastor and uh, a thinker in this area, he, 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 he puts it in this way. He, he doesn't say specifically, but he kind of talks around this vision of creation in our culture in which we are born pure and happy. You know, our inner child is Eden. We're born with innocence. And then sin is anything that robs us of this Eden experience. It, it, it could be anything that robs us of displeasure, of pleasure or happiness. It gives us displeasure and unhappiness. It could be a trauma or a bad experience, binding commitments, tradition, externally given identities. Anything that robs us of self-esteem or self-actualization. That is sin. And so salvation is the return to innocence, a return to the inner self by escaping such given externally given identities, traditions, and religious restrictions. The narrative goes, your inner good is truth, and that can guide you and ultimately lead you to meaning, purpose, and redemption. That is the story, that is the script of the society that we live in. And in many ways, it mirrors that narrative of the younger son. But the thing is, it's an empty promise. It fails us. As Mark Sayers goes on to say, our consumer-shaped culture then offers us endless promises to fill our empty selves, which it creates in the first place. It fails. It failed then and it fails now. We look at the younger son and how does it work out for him? Well, it doesn't work out at all. He finds himself at the bottom of the bottom. He can't go any further. The promise of absolute freedom for this young man leads in absolute slavery. And he finds himself eating out of the pod from a pig trough. I mean, in the, in the Jewish tradition, the lowest of the low were bottom dwellers. 
and the pig was a bottom dweller. And here is the man who is now eating behind the bottom dwellers. I mean, this is a picture of absolute desolation. This is bottom of the bottom. Obviously, his freedom has failed him. The promises of a better life apart from God ultimately fail. It was true then and it is true now. And we can see it. When we liberate ourselves for ourselves, it ultimately leads to corruption, disappointment, failure and despair. It's interesting, uh, just this week, there was a documentary on Freddie Mercury, the ex-lead singer of Queen, and uh, the movie came out um, oh, ages ago, but it was on TV again this week. It's really interesting that, that Freddie kind of lived that story. It's interesting also that in our culture and our time, his story is celebrated. But it's interesting that he made this comment while he was alive. This is how he reflected on his life. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that it is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. See, we can't save ourselves by pursuing pleasure. And the son, as we read this story, understands this failure. We read that he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. So it's kind of like scene two in the, in the play. Scene two, and, he, and we read, he, he, it's almost like his head is in the, in the trough. And it's almost like he, 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 it's, it's a moment where he goes, hang on, hang on. There is another way. He came to something. He had a moment of, of clarity. I don't know if you ever have moments of clarity where it's kind of like you see things for the first time in a new way. It's like, that's it. Things have got to change and you make decisions in a moment. I don't know if you've ever had, had those moments of clarity that gives you energy, life, and you decide to do things in a new way. Probably a radical moment. I asked Megan uh, a, a few days ago, I said, Megs, do I have, have, what, tell me, have I ever had moments of clarity? And she laughed and said, yes, Andrew, every six weeks when you decide to go on a new diet. <laughs> I think we all have moments of clarity often when we look in the mirror. And the hard thing is, is I have a moment of clarity, that's it, I'm not gonna eat any more sugar or bread. And then the next day, I just see that chocolate and it begins to talk to me. I look in the cupboard and it's more powerful than the mirror. And uh, I take and I eat. <laughs> this son has a moment of clarity as he's looking in the cupboard. There's not much to eat. And he realises something has got to change. And so what does he do? In a moment of clarity, he begins to self-talk. He begins to make decisions about his life. He says this, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he begins to go back. Now it's really interesting here. Often uh, readers and Christians will say, oh, this is the moment of repentance. This is not the moment of repentance. 
This is a moment where he goes, I can earn my way back into the house. He figures out a way in his capacity to work. Says, you know what, I can become a servant. If I just work a little hard, if I can make my, if I can just convince him, if I can just say to my dad, I don't need to be your son anymore. I won't be your son, I'll be your hired servant. And what I'll do is I'll I'll work hard and then I'll repay everything that I have lost. This is not a moment of repentance. This is a moment of going to the father and really getting what he wants, not what the father wants. And what he wants is far less than what the father wants to give him. This is not a moment of repentance. He's seeking his own self-redemption. Similar to the secular script. The secular script that says that we can be our own saviours. We can save ourselves. Psychologist Dan McAdams calls this the redemptive self and he writes and reflects on American culture but I think it also translates into Western secular culture. He says this redemption comes to me in the form of atonement, recovery, emancipation, enlightenment, upward social mobility and or the actualization of my good inner self. As the plot unfolds, I continue to grow and progress. I bear fruit, I give back, I offer a unique contribution. I will make a happy ending even In a threatening world, I call this story the redemptive self. People, Christians, followers of Jesus, how often is this our story too? How often, even though we've been invited into the family, even though we we know that we are Christians, we step back and we go back into old thinking. We begin to think again that we're just a hired servant who needs to impress and please God. And it leads to spiritual, emotional poverty. The thing is, is I reckon we all do it. And perhaps right now, you're in it. And you are seeing God, you're seeing the Father in the same way. See, the, the thing is, is that the, the rebellious son, rather than turning to the Father in the right way, actually mirrors the religious son. And that's where we move to. The second character in the story is the religious son. See, the religious son hears that the, the, son is, that the younger son has come home. The older son hears. And we, we heard the story, we read the story, and he is infuriated. He's, he's out in the, out in the you know, and it positioned, and you can hear Jesus, he kind of sets the scene. He's out uh, in the property, he's probably tilling, he's working hard, he's, he's doing all the right things, and then he hears music coming from the house. Someone, someone else, another servant comes out and says, your younger brother has returned home, and your dad's overwhelmed, he's excited, he's been seeking after him, he's been longing for him, and they've now killed the fattened calf, and we're having a party. And instead of rejoicing... The religious older son says, how dare the father do that? How could he? That younger son has taken everything. What about me? I've worked incredibly hard. I've done all the right things for year on year on year on year. I've done all the right things. I've never had a party. This is not fair. I think in this moment, in this statement, the the older son reveals his own motives for obedience. He obeys the father to get the things of the father. He wants the stuff. 
He doesn't obey because he just wants to be in relationship with the Father. He is self-motivated. He is self-focused. He is redeeming himself. I want to ask you as I ask myself, do I obey God, not to be with God, but to get things from God? Uh, it's been my story. It's been my journey. Now, I grew up eldest son of seven kids. My dad was a pastor. And I remember from a very young age, my dad not only leading a church, but then going and he would do a lot of work elsewhere and he would travel around the state and preach at different churches and often I would go with him. And I remember from a very young age, people would say, oh, you're just like your dad, you're just a junior Graham Circum. And dad, dad didn't put any of this on me, but it was the narrative and the story that I began to believe about myself. As long as I performed, as long as I was good, as long as others and those who watched as I walked into different spaces saw that I was a good kid, then I would be acceptable, I would be loved. This is the story of my life. And I grew up from a very young age learning to perform, learning to dance another tune, learning to be that good older son who was responsible, who did all the right things. But in my deformed view of myself and of God, I translated that or put that on God and on others. I thought that God could only love me as long as I performed, as long as I ticked all the boxes. And I tell you, it's been a, a long journey and it's still a journey in my story of learning that I don't need to perform. See, stories matter. The stories we believe about ourselves matter. And I wonder whether you're here today and you believe that you're only lovable, you're only acceptable if you perform. If you actually present well, as long as everything's all in a row, as long as you, you present to the world whatever your values are, whether that's to do with character, whether that's to do with what you own, whether that's your job, success, whatever it is that makes you dance to impress other people, to impress your parents, to impress your boss, ultimately to impress God. See, the thing is, is that when we take this posture of performance, it makes us judgmental and proud. You see this with the older son. He's got a critical spirit, spirit that says, I will not celebrate the fact that my, son, my younger brother has come home. I'm going to judge him. Why? Because there's a deficit, there's a pride in our hearts that says, if he succeeds, then I can't. Therefore, I need to boost myself up. See, judgmental people, proud people are religious people. We want to say to ourselves, I don't need anyone else. I am the redeemer of my story. And that's the story with the older son here. He's trying to redeem himself. He's trying to prove himself. He's, he's trying to say, I am worthy. It's a pitiful place to be and it leads to exhaustion and anxiety. See, when you think that it's all on you, when you think that it's all about your performance that matters, when you are your own self-saviour, my goodness, when you fail, it collapses around you. And the reality is, for all of those performers out there, all of us who are older sons, we know that we're failures. That's the thing. 
We might present that we're doing well, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we're failures, we're broken, and it leads to exhaustion, anxiety, and fear. And here's the tragedy about this story as Jesus sets it up. The tragedy is for both the younger and the older son, the religious and the rebellious son, is that they both had access to the father. Their priorities were just messed up. But there is good news. Because in the midst of these two stories, which are our stories too, as Jesus tells this story, there's another story, there's another character, and that is the Redeemer. It's the running father. God pursues, and we see this, God pursues both the rebellious and the religious. Firstly, the the loving father runs out to the son, the younger son, sees him a long way off. He's been searching, he's been looking. Remember, this is, again, the son is coming back. This is not repentance yet. He's just, he's coming back, and that's why it's quite intentional in the passage. He's not returning He's just coming back and the loving father runs out from a long distance and runs. Now, there's, there's some shame involved with this. It's embarrassing. Firstly, he runs, which means, and an elder statesman in that time should not run, but he picks up his gown and he runs off to greet the younger son as he's a long way off. The second reason why he runs Well, the first reason is because he loves him. The second is because you need to understand the context of the time and the village uh, processes in, in those Jewish times. See, if a young man left and lived in a Gentile village and went and married or did whatever with Gentiles, then he would be, he was rejected from that village. So if he tried to return, there would be a ceremony And the village elders would gather together and they would stand in front of this young man as he returned from the Gentile village where he'd been. And they would, it's called a kazaza ceremony. And they would grab a jar and they would smash it in front of him. It was symbolic to say, you have broken relationship with us. You are no longer entitled to live in this village You are no longer entitled to the family of which you are part. You are no longer entitled to work here and we will not give you food to eat. You have been rejected from this village and it was a symbolic moment as that that jar, that clay pot would smash in front of them. The father is running out before that ceremony could take place, before the village elders could gather and make this statement. He runs out to beat them so he can cast his arms around him and say, I love you. And before the son can even say any words, the running father wraps his arms around the younger son. He pursues the younger son, but he also pursues the older son. The older son, in in defiance and rebellion, refuses to go into the party. This was deeply shameful for the father. The father is saying, this is my party. I'm putting on a party. And one of the the key guests, the elder son, refuses to come into the party. You can imagine it. You know, it's like a wedding where where the, the father of the bride is not there. And so the father says, I... I Stop, music, stop. Stop serving the food, stop pouring the wine. I've got to go out. And we read in this humble state, he, it's, it's almost like he, he comes and he puts himself under the older son and he pleads with him, says, come back in, come in. Please come to the party. He doesn't need to, but he humbles himself and shames himself to go out to the older son and pleads for him to come into the party. 
Jesus is telling this story. And you can imagine it. You can imagine the listeners as Jesus is saying this. And I love the picture. Can you just for a moment get hold of the picture as Jesus is telling this story? This is, this is crazy talk to them, that a father would do this. And Jesus knows that he is that extension. He is, he is talking about himself. See, Jesus is the physical, tangible expression of God coming to meet us. And the, what is the context? Well, the context for the story, you have to go back to Luke chapter 15, verses one and two. We read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you've got the religious and you've got the rebellious all around Jesus. And it's this beautiful picture of God incarnate, God who stepped down from heaven to earth, surrounded by rebellious, surrounded by the religious. And he's saying, God pursues every one of you. God comes out to meet you in both shame and loss to love you. Jesus is the one the, the, the manifest presence of God, the apex of the story, God steps down, fully God and fully man, the representation of God, God coming to meet us, to be with us. God gives us his presence in the person of Jesus Christ in order to save us. That's the wonderful news. That's the redeeming story. When Jesus is sharing and telling the story, saying, I am the redeemer. I've come to redeem all of you. This is all about me. God comes and he pursues us. He dwells amongst us. And more than that, he dies for us. You know, some read this story and go, where's atonement? Where's the atonement? Where's the, where's the, where's the, you know, it seems like the father just forgives and that's it. Oh, no, 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 there's great cost. I've already pointed to it. Firstly, there's great shame. The father has to endure great shame. That's the story. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that after he lives a, a perfect life for 33 years, he gives all he has, heals the sick, spends time and hugs, embraces the poor, the broken, the sinner. He is rejected by his own creation. And Jesus extends his hands on a cross naked, and at the hands of his own creation, the creation, creation he spoke into being, he is shamefully beaten, mocked, and murdered. Shameful. Not only that, there's great cost, there's great loss. There's loss for the father. The father had to let go of his property. He had to let go of generational history. There was something tied to his past that was lost forever. Jesus hangs on a cross. And he cries out just before he dies, his father, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, as Jesus breathes his last, the father and the son are torn in two. The triune God relationship, and, and it's the mystery of the cross, but there is a relational tearing. The relationship between the Father and Son is changed forever. Something is, is lost. Relationship is broken. 
but it's broken in order that we can be restored so that we can have relationship with him. In Romans chapter five, Paul explains it to us this way. He says, but God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our rebellion and our religion, Christ died for you and for me. He suffered for us, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus rose again. It's the death and the resurrection of God which sits at the, at the center point of history. It's his story and it is history. And the beautiful thing is it can be our story too where we don't need to strive anymore. Death is defeated. So we can be invited into relationship with him so that we don't need to strive anymore, that we can enjoy the embrace of the Father so Paul writes, as he continues in Romans chapter five, he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God through the Redeemer. Jesus has redeemed us. Repentance is the way to life. Repentance is the way to relationship. Repentance is the way to a new identity. And here's the thing. This is the repentance moment for the younger son. The older son, he stays out. He doesn't repent. The younger son is embraced by the love of the father. And that is the moment of repentance. And in that place, as he is embraced by the love of the Father, he collapses into the Father's arms. He realizes that he can't repay. All he can do is receive. And we see this beautiful moment where the Father places a cloak on him to say, you are now part of the family. You are now esteemed and honored in our family. He places a ring on his finger, which was a mark of authority. He could now represent the family again. He can now make a seal again with his ring. And thirdly, he is given sandals on his feet. Slaves and servants did not wear sandals. Only those in honoured positions, masters and rulers, wore sandals. He is restored and renewed back again. Not because of what he's done, not because of his efforts, not because of his striving, not because of his religion, but because of his repentance. That is the invitation to all of us. We are invited to repent. And when we do, it leads to a party. It leads to a party. It's what the father says to the older son, but we had to, we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. That is the offer for every one of us. We are invited into a place of grace, embraced by the Father and then given everything that he has. Let's not make the same mistake as the two sons. Let's not look at this world and look at all the things that, that are told to us and say, if you just have this, you can be happy. If you just have that, then you'll be happy. If you just achieve this, then you'll be happy. If you just attain that, if you just impress them, you'll be happy. No, 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 no. 
Don't fall for the lie that we are peddled all the time through our consumer culture. Look to God. We are given so much more, but it's humbling because it means repentance. It means bowing the knee. It means collapsing into the arms of the Father. In a moment, we're, we're going to sing a song that speaks of this grace. You know, uh, when I was working in London as a, as a worship leader, I, uh, I used to have the pleasure of going to a church that wouldn't be much bigger than this, right in the heart of the Bank District of London, St. Mary's Woolnoth. I loved going there and leading worship uh, when I got the chance because of its history. In the courtyard, there is a gravestone to one of the vicars who used to work there. I don't know if we've got a photo of it. The vicar was a man named John Newton. Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. I don't know if you know the story of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. He was the youngest son. He lived a debauched life. If you read his autobiography, not his autobiography, his biographies, you'll read that. And then he had a profound encounter with God. And over time, he realised that his whole life was messed up, that his whole past life was incredibly broken. And he ended up getting married and pursuing the ministry and became a, a minister in the Church of England and ended up working in London just down the road from where we lived in a place that I got to lead worship from time to time. You may not have heard of John Newton, but you may have heard the song he wrote, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. My son was lost, but now he's found. I was blind, but now I see. That is the better story. That is a far better story than the one that this world has to offer. The invitation, whether you are religious or repentant, or to be honest, both, is to repent before the Saviour before the Redeemer. We're going to sing that song in a moment. I actually reckon that God is just wanting to do a deep work in some of us who have fallen back into the old story and you've forgotten grace. You've forgotten the love of the Father and everything He's given you and you've slid into another story. Before we do that, I'd love to create a moment for, for some of you here today. I don't know your story, and maybe you've never stepped into a relationship with God. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe this is your first time in church. I don't know your story, but you don't know Jesus yet. You are still living outside of the house. And the Father invites you in, and it's through Jesus that you're invited to do that. And I'm going to create a moment, an opportunity just for you to respond and say, yes, I want that. I want to become a Christian. I want to step into a relationship with God. So just across this room, just for a moment, can we just close our eyes, bow our head?
And if that's you, just with every head bowed and eye closed, and you know that you don't have a relationship with God, and there is, you're isolated, there's a tiredness, there's a brokenness, and you know that you need to receive Jesus, you're, you're done, you're, there's, there's isolation, whatever your story is right now, I'm just going to invite you just to raise your hand with every head bowed and eye closed. Can you just raise your hand right where you are? This is your time, this is your moment to respond, to step into a relationship with the God of the universe. He wants to bring you redemption, freedom, life and joy. It means repenting and turning, change of mind, recognising you're a sinner, recognising there's a brokenness. Is there anyone here? Just stick your hand up, a moment of courage. Is there anyone here today? That's cool. Just one more moment. Anybody, this is your moment to step into the kingdom. All good. Hey, I wonder whether we can stand in this place. If you're on that journey and you've got questions, I'd love to chat with you after. And I just continue that journey. If, uh, if, if you've got questions, love to do that. Come on, why don't we just stand in this place? As I said before, we're going to sing Amazing Grace, but I reckon there are people here today and you just need to a, a fresh reminder of the grace of God. Maybe you've forgotten along the journey and maybe you just need a, a fresh revelation. Maybe you're tired here today, responding to maybe something that Megan shared before. There's a weariness about you because you're trying and you're trusting your own resources, your own strength. Maybe you just need a fresh revelation or just a, a unique, it's almost like a statement saying, God, I, I'm reminding myself of the story that I stepped into so many years ago. And I need to be enraptured again with that story. I need to be reminded again of the good news that I was invited into. Something has been lost along the way. Somewhere along the way, I've forgotten. Somewhere along the line, I've, I've got distracted. Whatever that is for you, we're gonna sing in a moment. But if that's you, I'd love for you just to do something really courageous. But I reckon that God is just gonna speak and bless you. I'm gonna invite you just to come and stand down the front here. And I'd love to gather and get people to gather around you and pray for you, encourage you. This is a marker. This is a marker for you this morning. I'm just going, I'm stepping in afresh, reminding myself afresh. If that's you, come on. I reckon there's a number of us. Just step down and come down the front right now. Right now, before we start singing. Is there anyone? Just step out from where you are. God is wanting to refresh your faith and your grace today. Is there anyone? Thanks, Conrad. I, I know there's more. Don't let pride get in the way this morning. We are a community. We're in this together. We are a family. I, I reckon that God is just wanting to break people free afresh to step into a new place. Come on, step out from where you are. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thanks, guys courage just to come. If there's anyone else, we're just going to sing. Just calm down the front. If, if guys, could you just step forward? I know we don't have heaps of room here. And if you know these guys, come on, just come and just gather around them uh, in a kind of COVID sensitive way. It's a bit harder to do that. And if there's anyone else, come on, come as we sing and let's take hold afresh of the grace that God has for us, His life, His vibrancy, His freedom. Come on, let's sing, let's worship, let's respond. We hope you've been blessed by this message. 
If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.